0: Chapter 27 Conflict Your Highness, Cedric said, as he stepped forward to clasp my shoulder. You might not agree with the law, but to just act and free these people would be considered theft. Do you really want to give the impression that you believe yourself above the law? Damn it! he was right. I hated that he was, but he was right. My bias and aversion to slavery had me acting before thinking. That was going to be a hard habit to break. At least Cedric had become familiar enough and trusted me enough to point out my mistakes, even in the face of my anger. He, no, all three of my vassals were developing into real assets. And now that they were replacing that bit of fear and awe from our initial meeting into real respect and dedication, their usefulness was only increasing. Fago, do you know who owned these Kelpie? I asked. I might not be too late, but perhaps I could smooth things over with gold. The world may change, the laws of nature may be compromised, but some truisms are so fundamental, they will never change. Money talks are one of those truths. Squires, Goylan and Dillon, but I haven't seen them since night. uh, I mean Tom. Was banished,
1: he answered. That's because they're dead,
0: Leon informed us.
1: They were with my brother when you excited the Ascension Chamber. They died when Tom instructed them to attack you. In their failed attempt at killing you, you cleansed them with fire,
0: she further explained. I vaguely recalled the three men that I had burned and killed when Tom had ordered the attack. I wasn't sure I'd ever learned their names. And that bothered me. How had I changed so much that murder or killing could be accomplished with so little thought, an afterthought, reflection, or regret? The changes that made me see were complex, but this was the first time I was worried that I was no longer really the me I had known in my past life. I hadn't thought the changes would affect my emotions or identity. But maybe it was time to reconcile my understanding of how I thought I had changed with the reality of how I had actually changed. I was changed, and it was not just a matter of stuffing my soul into a new body. It was time to admit that the person from Earth, the me I was familiar with, was dead, and try to stop projecting expectations on this life based on experiences from that past life. Easier said than done, just like my decision to think things through before acting, hadn't lasted when confronted with issues of slavery. The body I now controlled was radically different from my human form. Hormones, circulatory systems, electrical pulses transmitted via nerves were exponentially faster, and this body contained additional organs and magic networks. While true, the mind could rule the body, it was just as true that the body impacted and influenced the mind. My belief and attitude towards slavery, notwithstanding Daniel's rewards for my actions, were based on historical and anecdotal knowledge from a world that believed that all men were created equal. That same world seemed to ignore and disregard every species but man, often hunting or destroying habitats, environments, and animals until extinction occurred. It might be hypocrisy to expect better of these people. Even in the supposed enlightened world I came from, bigotry and racism still existed. And belief systems could be impacted by endorphins. Just as my body responded faster to stimuli, it also had a superior endocrine system that was capable of flooding my bloodstream. Do you know if they had any next of kin, Lian? I asked.
1: Parents, each was an only child that is normally the case for Sealy,
0: she answered. Lorne, contact the keep and explain what has happened here, offer my apologies, and make known that I am willing to leave restoration with Fago. If they would provide me with a suitable number, I will provide suitable gold to recompense their families. But make it clear the condition we found the Kelpies in, and that they have been mistreated and apparently abandoned. I would have been cruel to leave them as they were, Yes, your highness, she agreed, motioning for Lien. The two women stepped aside to activate communication crystals and began a series of conversations between the keep and next of kin. Lorne was able to broker a swift agreement, and thankfully, the problem was quickly settled. The mention of gold smoothed over any concerns or anger the families might have felt, and I had agreed to leave 200 gold in trust with Fago for each Kelpie effectively buying them. It left me feeling soiled, but since I was freeing them, I managed to reconcile my feelings with necessity. Money for freedom was an appropriate solution, and the sums involved were incidental. I was about to hand over the funds before a interrupted me. Did you forget that you were awarded these Kelpies as spoils of battle after defeating them when you exited the Ascension Chamber? You're about to pay for Kelpie you already own. These were owned by the people I killed after exiting the Ascension Chamber? I asked. If that is the case, they become my property when I defeated their owners in combat, didn't they? Lorne made another call, contacting Knight Henry, and found that they were awarded as compensation after that impromptu battle. I still handed over the funds to Fago, more as a recompense, death tithes for the dishonored family than reparations for slave trading. Your Highness, Knight Blaine said, once the matter had been settled. We truly are grateful for what you have done here today, but... He paused, uncertain as to how to finish his sentence. He had really only ever seen me angry, so he had no idea how I would behave if I was unhappy or angry with what he wanted to say. It was entirely possible I was just another spoiled, entitled ranked. Watching me warily for a bit, he finally came to a decision. About the herd lord, he said, determined and bristling with resolve. His spirit rebounding, not yet broken, his new unwavering certainty freed him to look me directly in the eyes. It would be inappropriate for you to duel or to join battle with him. If you were to win and defeat the lord, Then you would leave the herd without a leader, unless you plan on assuming the herd lord position, and if you did that, you would have to duel and kill every male in the colony until they were all dead. None would accept a silly or un as herd lord. It just isn't done. We appreciate the sentiment, and we are grateful and willing to accept your aid and escort, but it would be best if you allowed the challenge to the herd lord to be made by a kelpie, Blaine explained. When we return to herd lands, we will demand herd rights and issue a challenge. This will give us an opportunity to inform the others, all the kelpie of the herd, of the lord's actions. Challenge will be made, but it is best if that challenge comes from someone that was directly harmed and betrayed by the Lord. Your healing has restored my family and I to our full strength, he assured me. I will call challenge and let the gods decide between the two of us. I promise he will not retain his position as hurt Lord long, even if I fail in my challenge. Once his actions are known, he will have to face challenge after challenge until he is dead from others, unless the entire herd has become corrupted by his influence and schemes. There will be a new herd, Lord, he declared. I offer brotherhood to you and yours. Putting the action to words, he used his teeth to open a wound on his arm extending that now bleeding arm for me to clasp. Cut your arm and clasp his, Carrod quickly directed me. Very few people gain brother status among the Kelpie. He is offering you a rare reward for freeing him and his family. I knew what blood brothers were and had already chosen to complete the ceremony. I was happy to act as Carid directed. It was nice to have someone approve my actions before they were made. Withdrawing a dagger from my spatial ring, I quickly slashed my forearm and clasped Blaine's arm. His grip was almost painful, squeezing hard enough to force the blood between us to flow. Once he started to release the grip, I pulsed a quick blast of Belaros Aura to heal our wounds. I saw no reason to allow the bloodletting to continue. System notice. You and Knight Blaine are linked by ties of blood. Do you wish to allow Knight Blaine and his direct descendants access to the Ring of Hidden Depths? Yes, no. Uncertain and unwilling to allow egress to people I had just met, I refused to expand and allow him and his family permission. Perhaps I would revisit the decision in the future, but for now, it was too early to trust. I did have to agree reluctantly with Blaine about the methodology of challenge. He was right. Until I had established my own lands with rules and laws that were equitable for every species, I would have to adhere to the weight of precedence of these lands. Plus, it made sense and better served my sense of fairness. He deserved the opportunity to expose and right the evils done to him and his family. He and his people were those that had been wronged. They didn't need me to swoop in like an avenging angel and solve their problems. My role in this drama was to be one of support. Make sure they were well-rested, healed, and arrived safely at their destination. Help them with the opportunity to get justice and right their own wrongs. But if, if they failed, I would act. Heard Lord Hagen would pay for his transgressions. Fago eventually found new mounts for us to use. Nothing like horses. I think he felt our reaction to the Kelpies may have biased us against that type of mount. The new animals had a striking resemblance to honey badgers. They had fearsome claws and teeth, and were obviously built for combat and protection. Standing 17 hands, they were higher and broader than the horses, because they didn't have hooves, accoutrements such as horseshoes were not needed. Bands of leather braces did exist, and encased and protected each of the six limbs. Their size was intimidating enough, but it was the six limbs with those deadly claws that elevated the danger from slight to deadly. They came in colors of tans and browns and seemed to delight in mischief, snuffling and head-butting grooms and riders alike. Once mounted, I discovered just how magic could influence function. The saddles grew backrests and leg supports once a rider was seated. A heads-up display was projected that included a mapping function and speed displays. The saddlebags were enchanted and capable of storing a month's supply of feed and water, as well as the tools required to repair, groom, and replace items damaged during transit. A series of gems were embedded into the saddle horn that allowed the rider to access communication arrays and entertainment channels. Bracers were strapped on that encased their limbs and were enchanted with speed runes. Runes that allowed these animals to double their already formidable abilities, allowing them to run faster and last longer. Finally, a force bubble was projected that filtered out wind and bugs while regulating a constant temperature. I'd once ridden in a limousine for a niece's wedding. That luxurious vehicle had fewer amenities. After a quick lesson to explain commands, verbal commands for the most part, not rain or leg pressure, Fago eventually was satisfied and assured us we were good to go. Opening the gate, he allowed us to exit the paddock and begin our journey. The ride was surprisingly smooth. The enchantments must have included some form of shock absorption because I was unable to feel changes in the gait or speed. I thought about opening the communication array to access information services, but decided to wait until I grew bored with the landscape and wildlife. Talim was beautiful. The wildlife adapted to support and showcase that beauty. And because magic allowed the impossible to be possible, man-made constructs simply didn't exist. There was no need for roads because skimmers hovered over the ground and mounts were adept at using the terrain. So the unspoiled glimpses of virgin forests and fields were the only scenery we encountered. No small towns or villages and no isolated armsteads poverty-stricken families, or displaced farmers irking out a living. The only disturbance to the serenity of nature we encountered occurred when we left Kel Lands. A shimmering energy field that we rode through unmolested was the demarcation between what he controlled and what was unsettled and unclaimed lands. The field was barely felt, and if its existence hadn't been pointed out by the guards riding forward, I doubt I would have noticed it. The birds and animals we encountered were eerily similar to anything I might find on earth. Birds came in various shapes, sizes, and colors. Small mammals, like squirrels and raccoons, skittered and chirped angrily at us as we rode past them, disturbing their unending hunt for a perfect nut or berry. The larger game, like deer, was plentiful and ran in large herds. It took Carrod pointing out the unusual for me to recognize that appearance was only skin deep. Birds were able to fly forward and in reverse. The small mammals were able to teleport from branch to branch, and the deer could fade into the background, becoming invisible to even the most discerning eye. That isn't to say that everything we encountered was familiar, like the honey badger mounts we were riding. There were evident mutations that had occurred on Talum that allowed the animals to make better use of the environment. Six legs were popular, but there were also animals that were mostly humanoid in form and function, walking upright and using paws that had been adapted to grasp and hold. The most interesting adaptation was the rudimentary magical abilities they encountered. Teleporting was the simplest. There were also animals that could call lightning, wind, and fire. If the magic had an elemental component to it, They seemed to be able to adapt and embrace the underlying mechanics. Despite our late start, we arrived in good time at the first camp spot. The building that greeted us was a jarring reminder of civilization. What we encountered when we arrived was not some small tent city, recently established with fire pits and rustic toilets. The people that had ridden skimmers to set up in advance had created a flourishing estate. A manor house and stables had been erected, part illusion mostly force shields. The sea made the term roughing it obsolete. Why leave home when you can carry it with you? Fago had sent one of his assistants with us to help feed and care for the mounts, but I had grown fond of Miala, the honey badger, as we rode, and she seemed to have grown fond of me. She followed me around like an overgrown puppy after I dismounted, and it was only when I led her into the stables and removed her tack that she allowed her grooming to commence. I decided to give a hand. With these types of animals, brushing and curling was essential. They had a much thicker fur than horses, so tangles and snarls needed patience and care to remove. What was even more vital was the care and trimming of their claws. Chips and splits had to be meticulously filed, and healing spells were used to regrow and repair any serious damage. Splits that were allowed to deepen and widen could lame an animal. It was hard to believe their claws required that much care because they were as hard and sharp as any steel dagger. The enchantment that allowed them to travel farther and faster must have contributed to and enhanced wear and tear. The resulting degradation had to be managed diligently. I didn't mind. It was soothing spending time with her, brushing her hair, learning her habits. The stable hands seemed impressed, as well as shocked that I bothered and I often caught them grinning at each other when I made a mistake or fumbled a brush. Miala was finally content to settle for the night once I prepared her dinner, a slurry of meat, oats, and honey. It looked revolting, but she rumbled in delight when I dumped the concoction into her feeding trough and filled her water. Giving her one last firm pat, I headed out to find the entrance to my tent and see if this monstrosity provided a shower. I'd barely closed the stable door behind me when I heard an argument, voices raised and the sound of flesh striking flesh. I hadn't thought we'd been tracked or followed by anyone after we left Fife Kell, but it sounded like someone had discovered us. Rushing towards the noise, I stopped abruptly when I discovered Lien and a staff member in a serious tussle. It hadn't evolved to hair pulling or wrestling around on the ground, but a clear handprint could be seen on the face of the young woman, I'd hired to assist Jenny. Alice Rice was a puka, a species believed to be the bringer of luck, both good and bad. Her history was a strange one. She seemed to be especially adroit with providing good luck for those she served, while sadly generating only bad luck for herself. Jenny swore she was a magician in the kitchen and eagerly provided a reference concerning her abilities when she applied to serve as part of my staff. I'd had little interaction with her and hadn't been able to form a real impression, either good or bad since she was hired. I wasn't sure exactly what kind of background search we'd done earlier. She was recommended by Jenny, so the vetting process might not have been as thorough as it should have been. But I'd seen no inclination for violence or intolerance from her, so I was very surprised to see her bristling with anger and brandishing a kitchen cleaver at Lien. Jenny had managed to separate them before anyone else was able to reach them, scolding them furiously. She demanded to know what was going on. Since she seemed to have matters well in hand, I chose to observe. I didn't have to get involved in every discussion or solve every problem. Sometimes the smart choice was to watch
1: and see how things played out. Well, Jenny demanded, is one of you going to explain what this was all about? It was nothing. Leon replied. A simple misunderstanding? Seems like more than a misunderstanding, judging by the handprint on Alice's face. A momentary loss of control?
0: Leon promised.
1: It won't happen again, Alice. What do you expect from one of Kell's spawn? The best thing that Duke Aduin could do is seize those lands and instill new blood into the Fife." They've proven they can't be trusted,
0: Alice spat in fury.
1: I warned you about slandering my family,
0: Leon said angrily.
1: Keep spouting your venom and we'll see how you talk once I remove your tongue. Slander,
0: Alice sneered.
1: It isn't slandering if it's true. Bomb is a bully and a braggart. Your father was a lazy drug addict and you... Who knows? But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it, Squire Lean? She mocked. Enough,
0: Jenny demanded.
1: Alice, get inside. We have meal preparation to see to. Squire Lean. forgive her. Her mother was a victim of Thom's games. I'll keep her busy tonight and send her on ahead to Duke Arraene City in the morning.
0: I began to understand why Carrot adored Jenny so much. She was resolute when action was required and seemed to understand the motivations and history that came from listening to and deciphering gossip. Her ability to lend an ear allowed her to learn and commiserate with anyone that visited her kitchen. But her ability to empathize with a person didn't make her soft or a pushover. In her domain, she ruled with a firm hand. Compassion did not equate to weakness. The conversation did give me pause. What games was Alice's mother involved in? What was Thom playing at that had traumatized the daughter so badly? I would ask around and see if I could find out, but first I needed to have a discussion with Leon. She was here only because of my suffrage. Perhaps Alice had crossed the line and said words that were vicious and hurtful, but she was one of mine a part of my staff, and no one else had the right to strike one of my people.